It's Friday the 20th of October and you're listening to the Women's Football Talk podcast. Well, Brad, we have just seen the Champions League group stage draw complete and we have some tasty fixtures to look forward to next month. Did you get the name of the podcast right this time? Yes, I did. I wasn't paying attention. Just before I clear that one up last week, because at least one of us knows the name. My bad. It's weird I didn't pick it up until the edit, which is the worst thing I can do. But going on to today's podcast yes very very intrigued the whole week i think has been a pretty good one champions league draw ending it all and yeah i'm happy i think it's decent enough for us if we want to cover it yeah i mean plenty to talk about obviously we had the second legs on wednesday um for the final places joining barcelona leon Bayern Munich and Chelsea in the group stages. We now know the uh, other 12 teams and which groups they will be playing it out in as all teams basically on their way to the final at the San Mamez Stadium uh, next year. Uh, So before we go through uh, the groups, some of the talking points from the Champions League this week. Obviously, the big one, VfL Wolfsburg not being in the group stages for the first time in over 10 years. I mean, just what a shock that is. That feels huge. I've not been like a massive watcher of women's football for decades, as we said, but I do know that VFL Wolfsburg are the elite, mm. or they're at least in that category. They're two-time champions, countless league champ- titles. They have a lot of the best players as well. They're, they're a big name. In women's football, so and I wish I had the quote for this from a past podcast because what did I say when we talked about Paris FC against Wolfsburg? I believe I mentioned saying if Wolfsburg did somehow get knocked out, then the conversations of hmm, we've got to have a word about this Champions League format. <laughs> Are they really going to start ramping them up? And yeah, lo- they- lo-, lo and behold. <laughs> definitely ramped up uh, this past few days since uh, Wolfsburg's exit. But yeah, full credit to Paris FC. I mean, they're having a phenomenal season over in uh, France anyway this season and uh, are looking absolutely incredible. Obviously, we saw in the first round that they knocked out Arsenal uh, on penalties and now they've managed to beat Wolfsburg five goals to three on aggregate. It's just brilliant for them this team has pulled off an incredible feat but the mm-hmm. run has been completely extraordinary and like I don't know, if you're not if you're a women's football fan you're happy for them like we can we can give this talk of oh it's sad that the big teams miss out but football is about stories like paris fc fully it is i mean you couldn't ask for a better story uh, i mean Obviously, uh, under a previous name a couple of years back, then Paris FC bought them, became a fully professional team and have gone on this uh, rise over the last couple of years or so. And it's just absolutely brilliant. I mean, you did an excellent piece on our website stop it. <laughs> uh, about them. Uh, so, yeah, I fully recommend going, checking that out. Uh, so where can they find that, Brad? They could find that only on womensfootballtalk.substack.com it's completely free to subscribe free to read go check it out right now definitely uh, other story points from uh, the Champions League this week, Eintracht Frankfurt reaching the group stages for the first ever time um, we also had uh, PSG knocking out Manchester United BK Hacken and FC20 putting in a nine-goal thrilling game on aggregate with BK Hacking winning five goals to four. Real Madrid beating Vail Ringa. Uh, and then in the other side of the draw, we had Ajax beating FC Zurich, SK Braun beating Glasgow City, and other results as well. Uh, so, yeah, 
really good games midweek and it's just made me really excited for the group stages when they start in a couple of weeks time yeah i feel ready for them i always feel ready for them in a way because you know that with, with this stage you're always going to get one game that goes well the draw always seems to work out that we get one group of death and then there's one group that doesn't look as good but actually when you look at it it's teams at a lower level who have an amazing opportunity to go further than they've ever gone before Definitely, and we've definitely uh, been provided A, a group of death, and B, a group, like you say, that on paper you wouldn't say, oh, okay, you've got like a clear favourite and then the rest of the teams, and again, UEFA have delivered it for us. I mean, let's go through the group. You can say they delivered it, They're like, they don't do this on purpose. Well, no, but they deliver it in the sense that they've made the draw do you think when really they're good. doing all the procedure and it player interview stuff that that's when they're prepping like right how are we going to do this <laughs> backstage they're just thinking <laughs> yeah. right get this written on a ball somewhere <laughs> exactly that would be hilarious but unfortunately is not the case um so let's go through the groups in group a we have fc barcelona SL Benfica, FC Rosengard and Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, on paper, Barcelona should win that group quite comfortably, but that second qualifying place, I think, is up for grabs between the three remaining sides. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, starting on Barcelona, of course, it feels straightforward for them, I guess. Or at least we mm-hmm. think it would be, but of course they, they share a group yet again with Benfica, who... Lest we forget, they got a result against them last year. Yeah. So exactly. they'll be eyeing them up for revenge, possibly. And as we say, it's straightforward for Barcelona because as good as they were last year, they now may be even better because they have Alexi Pateas now back fully fit to add to what was already an amazing midfield. I mean, no. And obviously we're able to... Uh, welcome on Abatier to the team in the summer as well. So the defense has got even stronger as well. Like it's a phenomenal team. Everyone knows uh, what this Barcelona team is capable of doing, and many people won't put it past them retaining the title this season. No, it's easier said than as well. When you, you just, the midfield has two Ballon d'Or winners, or going to have two yeah. Ballon d'Or winners. Yeah, it's just. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's mental. In terms of the second place, I think based on the experience, it's easy to suggest Benfica. I think that, mm. uh, but I do look at that. No, you got. I do look at that uh, Eintracht Frankfurt team, and I'm like, oh, you know what? These actually quite appeal to me. I think they could surprise a few teams uh, in this competition this year. And uh, I think they could be really, really good. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were uh, second place in that group. Yeah, and I think as well, Rosengard, they've got the history element as well. They've been involved enough times. But maybe the quality will be the, will be well, will what be the reason that maybe they don't, they don't make it. But I don't want that to be the reason they miss out, I guess. Like, they have as much of a chance as anyone. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think what we can probably safely say is that uh, Barcelona should finish uh, top and then it is just anyone's guesses for uh, who is second place. I'd agree. I'd, I think now is the fair time to move on to Group B with Leon, Slavia Prague, St. Paulton and SK Bran. Leon should dominate. I think that on paper everyone would say that pretty easily. The rest of them, yeah, wow, <laughs> an opportunity for one of them three. Yeah, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity to make it through to uh, the quarterfinals. Uh, SK Bran uh, of uh, the Norwegian leagues, led by uh, Martin Ho, who was formerly at Manchester United assistant manager as recently as last season and he's got off to a fantastic start as manager there. Uh, SK and St. Poulton were in the competition last year as well as uh, Slavia Praha. So again, both sides have 
past Champions League experience. But yeah, just imagine one of those two, three sides getting into the quarterfinal. Obviously, they will do, but how much it will mean for them to get into the uh, quarterfinals of uh, the Champions League is just absolutely immense. It's massive, and from the Leon perspective as well, don't go into it under, underestimating all three of them because you do that, you'll end up like making yourself look a bit silly and potentially costing yourself. Yeah, it's one that uh, Sonia Van Pasta's side definitely can't take their foot off the grass because one slip up, I mean, you'd imagine the other three teams could be really close in terms of points and goal difference. So, uh, Leon, they have to be perfect or near enough perfect because if they slip up in one game and lose it, that could see them drop down to second place or third place. I mean, if you think back to last year when we saw Arsenal and Wolfsburg uh, fight, sorry, Arsenal and Juventus fight it right down into their last day. I think it came down to like goal difference in the end as to who went through. So it's something like that it could definitely be on the cards again. Yeah, I think they just have to be very respectful of every opponent that they face. Yeah, definitely. So uh, on to Group C now, and this is the group I think everyone will be calling the group of death because, my gosh, is it exciting. You have FC Bayern Munich, AS Roma, Paris Saint-Germain and Ajax in this group. Oh boy, am I excited for that group. Yeah, that, this group is exciting. To say the least, that's three teams there who are quarter-finalists at a minimum, you'd be saying there. you got the Italian champions. All the French champions. Oh, I forgot whether they did win the league or not. And the German champions in one group. So, excitement. I, ex- I didn't even know they'd ever qualified. No, this is the first time. I don't think a Dutch since. Yeah, it was that. I, I couldn't believe become... the stat when I saw it. No Dutch team has ever been in the Champions League for, for how good Twente have been as well. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And how uh, Romy Lecter has started uh, this campaign for Ajax already five goals in the two games, scoring a hat trick in the first leg and then two goals on Wednesday. Uh, the defences of those three teams definitely need to be wary of her because she is a phenomenal forward. But wow, I think you can name a few players from each team and you're like, okay, this is where their standout player is. I mean, I'm just thinking of uh, Giacinti at Roma, Katoto when if she gets fully back fit at PSG uh, in times, And then you look at Bayern Munich, you've got Lea Schule, Lynn McGall, Georgia Stanway. Penilla Harder, when she's back from her a uh, little bit of an injury she's currently got. It's just, I am so, so excited for this group. Yeah, like watching PSG against United as well. That they're, They've got a good team building. I really like the mm. winger. I forgot, it's Cheer, Cheer Manga. Chewinga. That was it. I keep, keep getting a bit confused yeah. with W's and the M's. <laughs> more, more Robert yeah, Villa than Maya. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah PSG, Tabitha Chewing. PSG, they were an exciting team. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that forward three of uh, Sandy Baltimore, Lika Martins, Tabitha Chewinger, even um, Grace Gioro as well. And then obviously, like I mentioned, Marie Antoinette Katoto coming back. Like that's a very exciting team and can do good things going uh, forward in the Champions League. But I don't even know how to call this group. I really don't. No, and a bit of respect as well to give for Roma. Like, quarterfinalists last season, beaten by Barcelona in the end, and they've started their season in Serie A unbeaten. They've won every game, so they're an impressive team as well, and they'll definitely look to knock out one of Bayern or PSG or Ajax. Yeah, definitely so. And on to the final group now, and it is Chelsea, BK Hacken, Real Madrid, and Paris FC. They can't separate <sighs> themselves from Real Madrid. Can they? <laughs> no. Champions League group stage is Chelsea and Real Madrid. Inevitable. <laughs> and could we also see Paris FC knock down another so-called European Do you know giant? What? They have a chance. I mean, Not to say Real Madrid aren't a decent team still right now, but when you lose someone as 
important to them as Carol or Weir, you're going to suffer from that. But they're still a very good team. Like They haven't suffered much so far. But how much? How are they going to deal with Paris FC? We'll have to just wait and see when they play each other. Yeah, and this team definitely is capable of going the distance and going a long way and showing teams we are actually serious and this is what we are capable of doing. I mean, it's just a phenomenal see, uh, story that Paris FC are creating. You would say on paper Chelsea would be favourites for this group. Um, Emma Hayes' side obviously know how to get all the way to the final. They did it a couple of years back when they lost to Barcelona, uh, got into the semi-finals last yeah. season. Yeah, um, so again, they know how to go deep into the competition. It's the one thing that is eluding uh, Chelsea's silverware cabinet at the minute is that Champions League trophy. So they'll be hoping they can get over that. Do you think they got it off, off this season? I mean, I like the depth that they've got and it's a strong possibility. But then I'm looking at Leon. I'm looking at... Barcelona, even Bayern Munich, and just thinking of them as potential semi-final matchups, and like they could be really, really hard games for them. Very interesting. I, I currently have them maybe second favourites, but that's only because I haven't seen much of Leon this season, nor Bayern Munich. So I'm coming in from that, but that approach really. But Chelsea have a team that's good enough to win it, and as we saw last season, they made good strides in at least being competitive against someone like Barcelona. So maybe this season you give them more of a chance, but of course they've got to deliver. Definitely so. Right, so that is the group stages. Uh, the tournament, like I said, will kick off in uh, November, I think around about the 15th, 16th, so in three weeks' time, uh, and that will go all the way through to January uh, due to it starting a little bit later, which... Uh, for some teams, so Rosengard, uh, SK Braun and BK Hacken is a little bit annoying uh, because they won't be in their season because that will be their season finishes then. So it's going to be a little bit weird for the players trying to stay fit and maintain like full concentration whilst not yeah, also I've playing always a lot of games. That one a bit weird. Is there any reason why they do that? Uh, Scandinavians just usually a lot colder during the winter months. Uh, frozen pitches and snow ends up. So instead of games getting called off, that's why they so have the opposite of uh, uh, Saudi Arabia <laughs> or Qatar. Yeah, it's too cold. We can't play. Yeah, so that's why you have the Scandinavian countries playing at uh, different times to the rest of uh, the European team. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing to look forward to, to see what happens in that sense. Uh, but overall, very excited, and I cannot wait for the Champions League to start in a couple yeah, of weeks' time. And do we want to have a chat? I guess on we were talking about the expansion. Like it's going to happen one of these days. But a lot of comments this week have just caused a bit of like you're just making you go like, really? Did you need to say that? Like, <laughs> come on. Look at you, Mark Skinner. Yeah. Manchester United manager. Like, I think he was very reactionary at the time with his comments, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, he has came out today in his pre match conference and said that his words were twisted and all that. I don't know if I could agree on uh, that, but we all saw the clip. Yeah. He was asked a basic question and that's how he answered it. Um, I mean, we've got this current court format until 2025 at least. I would like to see an expansion of the tournament personally. Uh, I think having more teams than the 16 just gives it a little bit more exciting. I mean, I've done an article uh, on the website uh, today looking at that and what I would include. What website's that? Uh, womensfootballtalk.substack.com. Uh, Thank you, I just wanted to be sure. Yes, um, where I give out uh, four points of where I would like to see uh, the European game in women's football go. So uh, just quickly, it's like an expansion of the tournament to more teams. 
uh, more than the four teams automatically qualify. So we got more champions and some of the smaller nations uh, going through automatically. And uh, a secondary tournament. Uh, so for those playoff losers, they're not just, okay, that's their European season done. Maybe like uh, a Europa League style tournament um, so that they can have something to play for and win and it be like meaningful and get rid of like the mini tournament format. Uh, so just have simple two-legged ties. Um, so you've got less fixture congestion because just thinking to the Arsenal game, like I think they had about 10 to 14 days from some of their players playing in the World Cup final to their first qualifying match is just crazy to think of. So just those few tweaks. And I think UEFA definitely will be considering those things as it has been such a big talking point in both qualifying rounds so far of this year's tournament. Yeah, just going on to the secondary European tournament, the only concern I would have with that is we're already in, a, in the women's game talking about are there, are there too many matches? So as much as I think you do have to have more matches to then grow the game further, player welfare is also just as important. And I think if you added it in another European tournament for everyone else, you're again just increasing that that match load and yeah, player welfare, this... especially with where injuries are still, you know, it, it's yeah. easy to be concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, it would be very similar in the sense of like how the Champions League group stages were done, but they just wouldn't have to go through like uh, a qualifying set. So it'd go, if you lose that, you'd go straight into that uh, competition and not like in the men's football where if you get knocked out in the knockout stages or group stages, you go, you drop down into it. No, the Champions League teams stay in the Champions League, Europa League teams stay in that new tournament. Uh, so you don't have that sort of crossover. And like you say, I uh, fully... I'm aware of the player welfare and the uh, matches being played. But I think a secondary tournament, just to give the smaller European nations something to play for and have hopes of winning and saying, like, okay, we've won this uh, European trophy. Yes, they can then, I don't know, in a few years' time, say like that, that winner then goes into the following season's Champions League or what have you. Um, it's definitely something to work for. And I think could work, but it's just a lot of wishful thinking at this minute in time rather than actual plans in place. Yeah, like a workable plan has to be put forward for, for any of this to be realistic if we're being well mm. and truly honest. But go, I wanted to go back to the Mark Skinner comments because as part of the expansion, you can't just close it off to your Paris FCs. Because, as we've seen, having them, the teams like that pull off just shocking moments like they have done, that is what makes mm -hmm. the tournament special. So if you oh, reduce yeah. their chances, I mean... then you're almost making it a closed shop. Oh, we're just allowing yeah. the elite in who bring in the money and the fans. But you don't grow the, yeah. the teams at the bottom without them having a slice of that as well. Yeah, because uh, for me, um, I don't know if you fully read my bit, but I was like, just the champions from the top 10 coefficients get automatically qualified. So the same four that automatically qualified this season. And then, uh, the re so that's England, Germany, France and Spain automatically get a place. And then I think, it, if I remember correctly, off the UEFA coefficients list, you like um, Italy, Netherlands, uh, Sweden, Norway and I think Scotland and maybe one or two others, they would automatically qualify in how I would do it. So, and then everyone else would go through a place of like second place and third place of these leagues and some of the champions of the lesser nations. Yeah, like clearly in the title Champions League, you want as many of the champions in there as possible, but you don't oh, yeah, want definitely. to reduce it for everyone else as much. You've got to try and find the middle ground. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously going to be hard work, and I imagine you are already thinking about that. Even before these games and uh, shocks took place uh, this week, I think UEFA were probably already thinking about how can we make it better and bigger for fans to enjoy going to or uh, watching online. So 
it is one where the, a compromise is needed in that sense. Where can we grow it in a sense that we have more champions in it, uh, but at the same time we can get it to grow that the money and infrastructure continue can continue to grow in that sense as well. Yes, put the money down to all levels, reduce the entitlements that a lot of the big teams will probably mm-hmm. show because they'll think, well, we're the ones that bring the money in because we've got the fan bases. Well, yeah. Uh, and I think also with offering more places to automatically champions uh, in what I was suggesting, it would encourage those smaller nations to do better at club level and um, even at a European international level. If they know that they're doing well coefficiently, that then there's more chance that their team will automatically qualify for the Champions League. So there's that added bonus in that sense, if you get where I'm yeah, coming I, from with that. The main point is it, this has to expand well and grow women's football globally. Or the whole of Europe, yeah, not just one team or a couple of teams. The, yeah, not just the elitists. Yeah. The, again, as we said, the middle ground has to be found on and I'm glad it's not my call. <laughs> We're on to the final set of games before the international break this weekend. Uh, two games on Saturday and the other four taking place on Sunday. Uh, kicking us off this weekend, we have Aston Villa versus Tottenham Hotspur from half past 12 at the uh, Bescott Stadium. Villa looking for their first points of the season. Yeah. <laughs> so... Not time no, to no, worry no, just no. yet. I wrote this in the Talking Points article, which is where, where where's that again? Oh yeah, women's football talk substack.com. I think we told you enough times. If you're not clicking on it now, well then that's on you. Exactly. Yeah, but it's not panic stations just yet for us. But three losses so far to start our season is less than ideal. Mm-hmm. Well, I would also say that it could somewhat be explained given the opposition that we face. Obviously, you start off against a Manchester United team who are expected to be title challengers. You then play a Liverpool team that had started well for the majority. And then you're beaten by Arsenal, who only seem to want to play in the last five minutes of matches for some reason. (laughs) Exactly so. so I'm just being bitter. (laughs) Of course, I don't believe that about Arsenal. (laughs) I mean, even in the Arsenal Man United game, it took stoppage time winners to beat uh, the Villa. It's been going back as early as the Paris FC match. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on the Villa point, though, I mean, losing to Man United in stoppage time, losing to uh, Arsenal in stoppage time. So it's not like you're getting completely thumped out of the way by the big uh, teams. It is actually that uh, it's just maybe those lack of concentration in the dying minutes of the game that is what's costing Villa so far this season and also the fact that both Ken Zadali and Kirsty Hansen have been missing as well is a big big blow for Villa I think personally yeah there's like attacking wise we've just lacked creativity but there's no link yeah. up really between Rachel Daly and then anyone else who's behind her or at least it's not shown as mm. much as it did last season so that's a an issue yeah. for us that I I worry because Tottenham are a very positive team nowadays. They play attacking football, and as we've seen, they score goals. Yeah, I mean they look fantastic to start this season. Uh, I mean I mentioned it in uh, the WSL preview that I've done for our YouTube channel, Women's Football Talk. Uh, how impressed I've been by their players that they've got in so far, um, Martha Thomas, Grace Clinton, Olga Arten, and like how quickly they've settled into this Spurs team and how well they've got uh, Spurs playing this season. It's looking brilliant. And the fact that they're doing this well without Beth England, I'm really excited to see where they could go when she gets back from her uh, rehab. Yeah, I don't think many would have predicted potential selection headache between Martha Thomas and Bethany England <laughs> at the start yeah. of the season. Like that's a difficult one. Do they both play? Is it as simple as that? Because it feels like it might have to be if Thomas is still firing in the way that she is currently. I mean, it's gonna be uh, a selection headache for Robert Villeman, but um 
would you? I like that you still call him Villaman, but it's Villaham. <laughs> Villaham, Villaman. It's a H. Villaham. Um, yeah, I mean, sorry that shit. Just go get hate. Uh, going off last week's game, they played a four-three-three. So you had Grace Clinton on the left, Martha Thomas on the through the middle, and Celine Bizet out on the right-hand side. So potentially we'd see Bizet drop out and have Beth England as a winger in that sense. I'd very if they much were to play that four-three-three. Mm-hmm. Wishful thinking, I think Beth England isn't really a winger as such. I think. Though, if you wanted to have that versatility and stay playing that same 4-3-3 formation, I think that's what it would be. Or if you just wanted to pair the two of them together, then you'd obviously uh, drop Grace Clinton back into uh, the midfield uh, alongside Drew Spence, Evelina Summerman and uh, Olga Artinen. So there's that option too, but obviously we don't know how they would uh, link up together. Could they form a new partnership? Time will tell on that one. Uh, the next game, it's a pretty big one. The sad evening. Two, uh, God knows how this has happened. I don't think anyone saw this headline coming for this match. The unbeaten Leicester City against the unbeaten Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not one uh, that anyone was expecting to see. Two top seeds in the WSL this season. I mean, Leicester City, the revival under Willie Kirk continues. And obviously they'll be annoyed that they uh, dropped points against Manchester United after they were leading against uh, Mark Skinner's side last week. But seven points from a possible nine, if you compare that to 12 months ago, it is much uh, a better side, light and day difference. And then uh, Manchester City's front beating Bristol City 5-0 out last time. All five goals, headed goals as well. So that was the first time that has ever happened in a WSL That's match. a quiz question, if I've ever seen anything. End of the season. Which game yeah. did Man City... Or what's this stat that Man City did against Bristol? Yeah. The most headed goals in a match where the previous record was three. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know how to see this game because... Like I said, 12 months ago, you would say, oh, this is an easy City win. They'll probably win 4-5-0 again, like they did against Bristol City. But after seeing Leicester against Man United last week, it could be a really tough ask for uh, Gareth Taylor's side. Potentially. Like, the thing I, I see with Man City at the moment is they potentially have a bit of a ruthlessness. About them. The only game we haven't mm-hmm. seen that was Chelsea, but they were like they were player down. So it wasn't... They, they were not able to then impose that sort of approach towards the game whereas the other two mm. they've just been clinical and they've dominated matches mm. so it's important for Leicester to try and frustrate them a little bit yeah definitely and I think if we saw what they were able to do against Manchester United last week they were able to frustrate them uh, so it's definitely on the cards that they'll be able to frustrate Manchester City I kind of hope they try and give it to them a little bit. I would completely understand if their mm. approach was to just be very well organised, make it hard for for Manchester City to break them down, come away with a point. Yeah, I don't even think they'd be disappointed with a point if we're going on the basis of, like I said, how they were last season. Two and points against the improvement we've Manchester seen because... United and Manchester City is amazing for them given how they've been in their two seasons in the WSL exactly and it would keep them unbeaten as well so heading into the international break unbeaten for Leicester City in the league that would be absolutely fantastic for Willie Kirk's side I think they might stay up is that about you? I don't think they're going to be relegated definitely not at this point Uh, on to Sunday's fixtures now and we start off with a one o'clock game between Everton and Manchester United Uh, Everton winning the Merseyside derby last time out against Liverpool Megan Finnegan with the goal in that one Manchester United uh, will be wanting to get back to winning ways obviously after disappointing midweek Champions League elimination as we spoke about earlier to PSG and obviously drawing to uh, Leicester City last weekend they need some sort of bounce back uh, yeah. to 
kick on their season now now we know there's no Champions League group stage football forget about it and let's crack on with this season just as they thought it was the Sopranos forget about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, no wits it's the opening day it's not particularly ideal for United like their season now it fully focuses on mounting a title challenge and as you said they want to bounce back they're playing Everton team who Coming off the back of a big confidence boost, beating Liverpool at Anfield again, as they mm-hmm. always seem to do, which is weird. But uh, both teams have injuries to contend with as well. Everton had a couple of players out for a couple of weeks as well. I know one of them as well is Martina Piemonte, new signing. That's not ideal to lose her, even if. Even if the one guy we saw of her, maybe she's a player who would take time to get used to the, the league as, as mm. such. And Manchester United, as we know, they will be without the former Everton defender, Gabby George. It was confirmed she had suffered an ACL injury. So that's the season probably for her as well. Yeah, uh, well, it will be unless she has a miracle recovery and is able to recover in six months. It's going to be... Unless they finally uh, find... Very like, hard for- the way to get them back earlier. Yeah. The research uh, pays it's going to be very hard for them. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I do think United really do need a win just to give them a bit of confidence, even if it is heading into the international break, just getting that win back under themselves. Like you said, they haven't won since the opening day. Give themselves that confidence boost and then that they can kick on again uh, when we're back in club action after this break. Do you, I'll ask you, Manchester United fan, do you expect them to be a bit picky with the squad selection again? I'm expecting some changes um, and I think it needs to happen because it, they've played quite a lot of games uh, in recent weeks. I mean, I think it's like four games in 10 days I saw uh, the other week, so uh, the other day, sorry. So that that's not something that they're used to, especially players coming back off uh, a World Cup two months ago, where United had players in the final, then they've had pre-season to get content with, and then jump into league action, Champions League. It's quite a lot. So I think resting some players uh, definitely needs to happen, and I think we saw. Uh, with how well JC settled into the team so far, Hinata Miyazawa and Malvin Mallard, they're all capable of starting. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we see some of them changes happen. Maybe uh, Irene Guerrero's uh, fit enough to play. We saw Lisa Nelson get her first goal for the club in midweek. So I think some changes are needed to happen to keep this team fresh and uh, have players not uh, getting worn out. But at the same time, Mark Skinner's not really one known for changing a lot of his players um, at Man United. So it's a bit of a catch-22 for him in that sense. It's like he has a preferred uh, lineup, it seems, but you've got to rest players when it's needed. Yeah, you have to be smart about it. Oh, he found last week a weird one when he dropped JC the... What was all that about? <laughs> yeah. Well, it appeared, he seemed to say that she had a bit of a knock um, and he didn't want to fully risk it for the full 90 minutes. So it was just the 45 that she got, or a little under 45 in the end. Um, but I think, yeah, she's definitely a player that's been instrumental. I mean, we saw when she came on against PSG in that first leg, how much she just changed the game. She was in the second um, leg as well. And I think like if she can... Assisting the goal. Yeah. Yeah, like she's already settling into life at Man United so, so well. And I think it, I personally would like to see uh, the three summer signings of Niles and Miyazawa. Uh, sorry, Miyazawa, Malad and JC uh, starting Who drops uh, this weekend. In that case, I guess he... Like, I don't think she's had the best starts of the season, but is there a tune getting dropped in that case? For me, if we... Yeah, it's Toon and Paris uh, definitely get dropped. Yeah, Paris isn't so what I, I don't think is a regular um, anyway in the team, but I think you're probably looking more at the, the Lucia Garcia's I mean, in that case. Yeah, 
it's a bit of a weird one with Paris because she seems to be uh, a bit in and out of the team as well. So, um, yeah, but I think Ella Toon definitely needs to be rested. Even if she comes on for the last 20 minutes, half an hour, she can have that, that bit of impact and I think needs the rest because she just plays so much football at this minute in time. And you can clearly see she's not at the best as she has been in previous seasons. Yeah, so it has happened there just a bit of a regression but you can't always expect players to be completely 100% all the time you know, yeah. the, the best players are, are no. capable of that you have to be an unbelievable player to do it all the time but players mm-hmm. have dips in form like it happens but it's how you then bounce back from that and that's oh, what yeah. she has to, to do yeah find her confidence again and get back into her stride of being a world-class midfielder that we know she's capable of doing. Uh, Right, on to the rest of Sunday's fixtures now. And at two o'clock, we have Chelsea taking on Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, Chelsea winning 2-0 against West Ham United last time out. Brighton were on the end of that 3-1 defeat to Spurs. You would say a comfortable Chelsea win for this one? It'd be the easy option to say that. I'd never want to Mm. rule out anyone with many chances except maybe Bristol City I think at the moment they are suffering a lot and it's easy to say and they're not going to get many points I don't know where their points are coming from if I'm being honest sorry Bristol City fans in the odd chance that you're listening it's oh, just yeah. I don't know what happens I mean but we're, we're talking about Brighton we can talk about Bristol City <laughs> it's a big test for Brighton yeah but I, I'd say with Leicester against Man City I think it's going to be interesting to see how they approach the game yeah, I mean, the way uh, Elizabeth Turland has started this season for uh, Brighton has been absolutely exceptional. She always seems to be there and able to provide a goal for them uh, to start the season. But it's going to be such a tough ask uh, to try and contain this Chelsea attack. Um, I think at times last week, West Ham were able to do it. They made it really hard for Chelsea. Um, but for uh, Brighton's sake, I think it's just going to be... a that bit bit harder and I think the golfing difference is there as well and I think Sam Kerr she finally got her first goal of the season last week and we know what she's like when she gets on form gets her shooting boots on she is one of the most dangerous uh, falls in football and everything as well there is the scores that are headers yeah. but, uh, it's not just Sam Kerr as well Fran Kirby being back fit as well it's just a, she's a massive player yeah. for that team yeah, and this, the depth that Chelsea have, I mean, they can afford even for one of them two to come off the bench. And you've got Lauren James, Guru Wright, and uh, Mia Fischel, who's started life okay, but he's still getting adapted to the league. Like, the depth of Emma Hayes' side is absolutely uh, crazy. And whilst I think Brighton will certainly pick up sooner or later, I don't think it will be uh, just yet. Yeah, I'd agree on that one. Uh, should we go through the rest of the games? Yep, uh, two more to go. We've got West Ham versus Liverpool at three o'clock. I think anything can happen in this one. Yeah. Really, anything can happen. Two teams that will want to bounce back from last week. Should be an interesting mm-hmm. watch, I think. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, West Ham only picked up uh, one victory so far this season. That was their second game against Brighton. Liverpool, obviously, that was their first loss in the uh, Merseyside derby last week, but still very impressive start to the season. And um, they were able to see Sophie Roman Haug uh, last week for the first time. So hopefully she can get some more minutes under her belt and start to show what we saw at the World Cup. Yeah, I think Liverpool will be hoping for that as well, even if they are a team that is... Maybe able to get goals from elsewhere as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the final game this weekend is Bristol City versus Arsenal uh, on Sunday evening at uh, quarter to seven. I mean, like you alluded to, just it's going to be a tough, tough, tough game for Bristol City. This. Yeah, I think we knew it weren't going to be an easy season for them, but it, the, in the matches we've seen, there's a real golf in quality. And I think every game they've conceded at mm. least three goals as well. 
yeah, 12 goals conceded off uh, three games. And they've scored uh, three goals as well. And yeah, it's going to be such a tough, tough ask for them. I think they're in that position for me at this minute in time where I know it's only three games into the season, but they're too good for the championship because of the quality of the players they've got. But I don't think they're quite there yet enough in the WSL in terms of having real standout quality that you can say, okay, this is where they're going to pick up wins and this is a player that's going to have these game-changing performances. I think myself at Corey and the Norwich men's team of the WSL. (laughs) (laughs) But but I talk about WSL expansion. That benefits a team like Bristol City, you would think. But WSL expansion talk is for a future date. Definitely. Uh, And possible return news. I'm saying possible with extreme quotation marks. Um, Jonas Oliver said that Vivian Miedemont may be in uh, the squad for this game this weekend. A couple more training sessions. He looked at Andres Jonker before. I'm I'm having this moment, mate. (laughs) Yeah, and... Uh, everyone knows uh, Miedemar's record against Bristol City is lethal. I mean, it's only three, four years back now. Uh, she managed to score six goals and get four assists against Bristol City. I'd like to think Bristol yeah. City are a better team now. Though. Definitely. Uh, obviously, interesting situation for them is the goalkeeping one because um, Caelan Marchese is on loan from Arsenal and I don't know whether they've got loan permission for her to play. Uh, and I think Fran Bentley's still injured. Uh, they've got uh, Olivia Clark, the uh, Welsh goalkeeper, um, but I th- I'm not too, I'm not too sure on what uh, the goalkeeping situation is with uh, that situation for Bristol City because um, obviously some teams you're obviously allowed to have uh, play against your loan or your parent club, but I don't know what that is going to be like for them uh, this weekend. So that's interesting. And same with uh, Brighton against Chelsea. Nicky Everard, uh, who's on loan at Brighton from Chelsea. Obviously, they've got uh, Sophie Bagley, who they signed in the summer, also on deadline day. So uh, that goalkeeper watches something to pay attention to this weekend. It is, but it's also a case for the parent club. Do you feel threatened enough by the opposition (laughs) your players in goal against (laughs) Chelsea? Mm, it's one of them where you'd say no she can't play because she knows our team too well absolutely not she's really good we know what uh, she's capable of doing we know we see she it. Knows We've seen it where Sam Kerr puts her penalties <laughs> exactly so uh, going to be interesting to see what the situation is with especially with Bristol City uh, if they're not able to play Kerlin Marchese and it has to be Olivia Clark who goes in goal I mean, good chance for Olivia Clark to impress. Definitely so. Uh, right, so they are this weekend's uh, WSL fixtures. Like I said, this is the last set of uh, games before uh, the international break starts next week. It's the return of the Nations League. Yes. Or if you're in England, say just you're playing Belgium. That's it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think this is the weird period where games three and four you're playing against the yeah, same team it's strange. for every country yeah very strange yeah. And i think so serena beeman would talk about how they prepare it's like well we watch the last game back and we analyze from there that's also the game mm. prep <laughs> yeah for the second game okay you see this what we did the other day against them it worked yeah we'll just do the same again. see that don't do that <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, some good news out of uh, Serena Wiegmann's selection. It was first call-ups for uh, Kiara Keating and Grace Clinton. Um, really deserved for the pair of them who have done really well uh, so far this season. And we've also uh, seen Fran Kirby come back into the team as well as uh, Kira Walsh uh, as well. Yeah, I, like, I think so, this is a good, yeah, good. squad to, to give the experience to the younger players to I guess definitely and um, another bit of big international news um, Sandy McGeever has switched her countries uh, she's gone from representing England and she now will be uh, representing Scotland uh, going forth 
she only played once for England back in 2021, so has been able to switch her nationality and will be representing Pedro Martinez Losa's side. I encourage stuff like that all the time because you have to think of your career at this point. Do I want to play international football regularly as well? So for her, I yeah, think it's I a mean, smart decision. It's one of them where it's hard because of the quality of keepers England have got. So uh, Roebuck, um, Hannah Hampton, yeah. Emily Ramsey. You've now had Keating to that list as well. She's only in the top five now. Yeah. It's such a big list. And what also doesn't help is she's not getting regular minutes at club level with Manchester City because at the minute it's Kiara Keating who's... Just uh, hates the sight of Kiara the Keating. <laughs> Just stealing her spot. <laughs> Yeah, so um, any way she can potentially get some minutes, you take them, I think. And yeah, I think also with the name of Magiva, you can sound like... more Scottish, <laughs> could you? Uh, but yeah, for uh, Scotland, they'll be obviously playing against the Netherlands in these two uh, fixtures. So potential debut there for uh, Sandy Magiva in those upcoming ties. Uh, the first set of games are next Friday uh, in the Nations League. So plenty to look forward to before then yeah right uh any more talking points this week you want to rattle on or is that no i got nothing else i think there's other things that happened this week that i would have liked to talk about but i actually think they're better suited next week because we'll be in need of the talking points (laughs) yes as we'll be on international break right um that is it from us and make sure you are following us on twitter and on instagram women's football talk on both of them just search for us and you'll come there also on youtube as well where we have a full preview uh looking at the weekend's wsl games and everything else happening in the world of women's football and like we said countless times throughout the podcast for all the articles head over to womensfootballtalk.substack.com and until next time it's goodbye from me and brad and we'll see you soon